Come on, somebody, give Jesus praise. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. It's good to see you. Jesus. I just want to keep on, just, I just want to keep singing. I just want to keep, I just want to keep singing. Yeah. Well, we're going to continue on our series this morning on the day of his glory. He has made you to be a house of his glory. I said he's made you to be a house of his glory. He has given, we were, we were talking about this actually this morning in, uh, uh, in our serve team rally, that God has given you gifts. He's made you a co-laborer with him. He's made you a co-laborer with him. I said he's made you a co-laborer with him. <laughs> That's good news. That, you know, he's redeemed your life out of the pit. He's redeemed your life out of the pit. And not only has he brought, he, not only has he adopted you, made you his own, but now he's made you a co-laborer. He's building his house, and he's using you to do it. There's a little bit of a ring up here, guys. It's a little high pitch, if you can help me out. One of those frequencies. You know, it's, it's wonderful. Technology's wonderful when it works, and most of the time it doesn't. So you just have to bear with us. We've, we've had screen issues. We've had, you know, all the things that could happen this morning. I always say the devils leave people, and they go into the equipment. It's like the... They, they come in the building and they leave the people and jump into, they can't find, we don't have any pigs in the room, so they have to go in somewhere, so they, they, they got to jump into the technology. So we're going to continue on our series this morning, and uh, I want to share with you about order in God's house, that we're going to be people of his glory. He's building his house, and God has order in his house. He has a way of doing things in his house. How many of you have a way of doing things in your home? There's, you have set routines. There's things that you, you like. There's, there's protocol in your house. Now, when you have guests over to your house, you may not follow you know, all of those protocols to a T, or maybe you have new protocols when, when guests come over to your house. I, I'm very particular about our house uh, when we have guests come over, I'm very particular. I want to make sure that everything's in order. The floors have to be clean. Every, matter of fact, everything has to be shining spotless. If we have people come over. And how many of you know when you have three kids, that it's just impossible to have everything shining spotless. Matter of fact, uh, it's funny what happens in our living room. Our living room has all of a sudden become a toy collection room. I had no idea. Nobody told me that when we had kids that I would lose my space. I've, I've lost my space, and my protocols have gone out the windows. And you know what I'm talking about. Amen. Yeah. And so you have protocols. There's things that you follow. Well, God has protocols for his house. There are things that he does to ensure order in his house. This is God's home. This is his house. Amen. This is his house, and we want to be stewards of his house. Not only is this, Heather uh, alluded to this, not only is this physical house, this building his, but you are the temple of God. 
Amen. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives within you. He's here corporately among us, and he's living inside of you. So you are a temple of God. So he has protocols and procedures for your life. If he's going to take up residence in your life, he has expectations for you. Amen. God doesn't want to live in a dirty house. Did you hear me? He doesn't want to live in a dirty house. And so he has expectations that you have clean hands and a pure heart. He has expectations that your meditations are pure before him, right? So he has, he, there's expectations for your life. And then he has expectations not only for his house, he has expectations for your life. And then your family, your, your home, your physical home. I don't know, I hear somebody, something going, I hear a phone or something, so it's distracting me, so if somebody can help me out there and turn off your phone, that'd be great. But there's, there's a, a, your physical home, everybody say my home. Wow. My physical home, your physical home is a residence for the Lord. So just as your home here, this, this temple is the temple of God, and your life is the temple of the Holy Spirit, your home ought to be a residence for the Lord. Amen? Amen. So just as you, so don't think, well, we're going to implement the, the God's protocols here at his house, but we can go home and live how I want. I can do what I want at my house. I can do what I want uh, when I leave church. I'll honor God's, you know, I'll honor God's house while I'm there. It's kind of like going to a fancy restaurant. I'll, I'll dress up and I'll meet their standards when I go to the fancy restaurant, but that's not how we do things at my house. Did you hear me? So we, we live the protocols, the standards, the things of the Lord. We do not just here in his house, we live them out in our home as well. So in 2 Samuel chapter 5, I love this story. We find uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7. I'm not going to take the time to go there uh, and read the entire story. But David is met by the Philistine army. They come and they, the Israelites are having to deal with the Philistines. How many of you remember the Philistines? They come out against uh, David a number of times, and he's got to deal with the Philistine army. Um, and he's facing them again. And, and David goes out and he meets them and he, got, he prays this prayer to the Lord and says, God, what, will you deal with our enemies? Will you handle this with our enemies? And God says to him that you'll go out and you'll be successful over your enemies. And God gives them victory over their enemies. David goes out and he, he fights them head on and deals with the enemy. But then the Philistines come back. He doesn't completely annihilate them, but they, they run away and they come back. Have you ever felt that way before? Like you, you've dealt with the enemy, you've dealt with the problem, but then it, it just keeps resurfacing. It's kind of like those wonderful cell phones. Right when you think that it, we've dealt with them, they just keep coming back. They just keep coming back. But David goes and he prays and he seeks the Lord. Right? He seeks the Lord and he says, God, what are we to do this time? We've, we've handled the enemy this way in the past, but we're facing the same enemy again. How do you want us to handle him again? And God changes the methodology. 
We would think, oh, well, God will do the same thing every time. A plus B equals C, right? We think sometimes that God moves the same way every time in church. That, that when we, we come down to the altar, we're going to meet God in the same way every time we come to the altar. Or we think that when we, we go to our prayer closet in our homes, that God's going to show up and meet us in the same way every time. And that's not how God operates. That's not how he functions. And so God actually told David, he said, I want you, instead of, instead of going out and meeting them head on, I want you to come up behind them. I want you to go through the, the balsam trees. The, uh, some translations says, say the mulberry trees, but the balsam trees, I want you to come up. And, and these trees, it's actually called the Valley of Weeping or the Valley of the Balsam Trees because uh, the balsam trees are actually... In the, in the Hebrew are the same word for weeping. It's because of the sap that the trees, the, the, the sap looks like tear-shaped, uh, tear-shaped tears, you know, coming out of the tree. And so they call it the valley of weeping. He said, I want you to go to the valley of weeping, and we're going to go back this way. We're going to go around them. We're not going to attack them uh, head on as you did earlier. We're going to change methodology. And he said, when you hear the wrestling in the tops of the trees, then you'll know to attack the enemy. You see, that's a, that's a really weird plan of attack. You're going you're gonna to just hang out in the tree line until you hear what sounds like the feet of men in the tops of the trees. Just like that, out of the blue. You're going to hang out and you're going to hear... The wrestling in the tops of the trees. And he had to wait for God to move in the trees. It wasn't the sound of soldiers in the, in the tree line that he was waiting for. He wasn't waiting for the Philistines to come attack them head on. He said, I want you to listen. You have to quiet yourself and listen for the trees to wrestle. And then you'll know when the trees are rustling, that's your cue to attack the enemy. So God moves in different ways all of the time, and he has different methodologies at different times, but there are standards, there are true things every time, true protocols for God's house that he's looking for. And so I want to take a look at those today. Uh, one of them, if I could just summarize maybe the entire New Testament, the very overarching protocol order in God's house, I would say, is the word honor. It's the word honor. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When in the Greek, when it says in the name of the Lord, it means in the character of or in honor of the name of of Jesus. Everything that you do ought to honor the Lord. When, whether that's uh, how we serve honors Him, how we minister honors Him, everything that we do. One of the things that I talk to our team about frequently is if you were to write the word ministry and circle it, everything that we do in ministry is circled by the word honor. If you and I can learn to honor one another, it's love and action. If we were able to honor one another, it puts us in the parameters where God can move. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another, honor one another, 
above yourselves. The word there, be devoted, is the word cherish one another with brotherly love. To cherish each other with brotherly love. And the word honor one another above yourselves is to actually outdo each other with love. To study study each other, to outdo one another with honor, with love. When's the last time that you took a moment to study how you could outdo someone with honor? How can I outdo them with love? How can I outdo them and go above and beyond to honor them? Are you all out there this morning? So honor is the, is the circle, it's the boundary, it's the parameter line for everything that we do in ministry and life to honor one another. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, he takes this even further in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, remember that, and you remember that you have ought or you have a problem or something against you, or your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift and go make it right. Honor. If you have something against your, your brother or your sister, or you know they have something against you, leave your gift at the, at the altar and go. In other words, when you come to the church and you come to worship, and you know that there's an offense between you and someone else, or there's, there's, a, there's some sort of trouble between you, that you go and you settle that. That's honor. You go and you settle that issue, and that's worship to God. Do you know it's worship when you walk in forgiveness? It's worship when you walk in forgiveness with one another. So we honor each other. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to 1 Timothy 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter 3. I love what Paul writes here. The whole of 1 Timothy is instructions for the house of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, it says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the house of God. Did you hear that? Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, I'm writing so that you know how to behave in God's house. Timothy had taken over Paul's church. He was leading the church of Ephesus. He was dealing with seasoned saints. He was dealing, he was in a church and then it was a very pagan area. And Paul's writing to him how to run the church and how people ought to behave in the house of the Lord. God has protocols and procedures for his house. You know, it's funny to me that people get so bent out of shape sometimes over, over spiritual things. We, we try to regulate uh, we try to regulate God instead of ourselves. I would venture to say that some of you this morning, even when I started talking about order in God's house, you would think your first thought was, oh, he's preaching about spiritual gifts and, and how we uh, shouldn't get out of hand or out of control and all of those things. When the reality is, is that we, we need less regulating of God and how he operates and what he does and more regulating of us. Good preaching, Pastor. Amen. I, I think so. Because, you know, the reality is, you know, the Corinthian church, the problem with the Corinthian church 
was they had moved out of the motivation of love. There was nothing wrong with spiritual gifts. Can I just talk about this for a moment? There's nothing wrong with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are needed, and, I, and I'll talk about it in a moment, but, but spiritual gifts, there was nothing wrong with the spiritual gifts. The problem was with the people who became overzealous in their use of spiritual gifts because they were, it had become all about them. They had to give a word every week. And if they didn't give the word every week, that, that, that was, there was a problem. They had to be the ones that had to be, they had to have the corner on God's market of prophetic words and words of knowledge and messages in tongues and all of the things. And Paul wrote to them and he said, I, I, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant about them. I want you to know how to use them appropriately. And so it wasn't about regulating God and his power and his presence and his gifts. It was about how do we steward the gifts that God's given us? How do we steward what God's given to you and I? The, the issue is that you and I can receive, hallelujah, all of these wonderful pieces of technology. We can receive them. Check one, two. There we go. Sorry, y'all. We can receive spiritual gifts. And we're testing how, how your attention span is today. We're, we're wanting to know, are you able to keep present in the house of the Lord when all the technology stops working? I, I, yeah, hallelujah. So anyway, so you can receive a gift from the Lord in a moment. That's, it takes nothing for the Holy Spirit to give you a gift. It's who he is. He's, he's abounding in gifts. He's overflowing in revelation of who God is. He's overflowing in spiritual gifts. What he's working, though, in your life is how you steward. It's your character. That's what he's after. It's your character. So anyway, so Paul tells Timothy, he said, I want you to know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. God wants this house to be a pillar, a standard of truth. And so we have to operate in a way that is, is in alignment with that. He said, I want, he said, you ought to, the things I'm writing to you, so you know how you ought to operate. In other words, you should know it's, this is a necessity for you. You should know how to operate, how to function in the house of the Lord. It's not optional. Hallelujah. It's not optional for you to know how to function in the house of the Lord. You have gifts. You have talents. You have abilities. You have spiritual gifts in your life. The Lord wants to use you in his house. You wouldn't go to work and show up uh, on Monday at work and say to your boss, well, I don't know how to function here. I don't know how to operate here. So you're going to have to do everything. Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. Right? You wouldn't show up to work and expect now. I know the new millennial generation and work is all everything's different now post COVID. I know that. But but that's not how work functions. You show up and you know your role, you know your responsibilities, and if you don't, you get trained. That's how you get a paycheck. That's how you function. That's how you operate. And so in God's house, we don't just show up and say, Okay, Pastor, have fun, knock yourself out. We're gonna watch you today. Right? You have responsibility in the house of the Lord. 
So I want to look at what those are. You ought to know these things, how to conduct yourself or behave in the house of God. And you'll notice I'm not talking about today about how passionate your worship is. I'm not talking today about the mechanics of spiritual gifts. I'm talking today about stewardship in your life. How do you represent the house of the Lord? So the first thing that, that Paul covers with Timothy, we see it in 1 Timothy 1, uh, and we're going to do a flyby of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, that in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among many are, and then Paul calls out, this is great, Hymenius Alexander, who I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. It's wonderful. You know, it's never fun as a pastor where you just have to call out someone's error. And that's ne You never want to do that. You never want to have to publicly... Uh, recognize the error, but here they, what was their offense that caused Paul to have to name them and their names be indelibly written in Scripture? <laughs> you really blew it when your name gets written down in the Bible as blowing it. <laughs> you messed it up. You know you really did it. What was their offense? That they were preaching and teaching. They were propagating a blasphemy, a, a heretical message. They, were, they had gotten, the, they were no longer sticking to sound doctrine. And so, number one, we have to keep sound doctrine. Order in the house of the Lord is sound doctrine. We preach, we teach the word of God. Paul said in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation. We are not ashamed of the gospel. We stick to the word of God. We preach the word. When Jesus was with the Samaritan woman, I love the, you know, the scene of the Samaritan woman. And she, she starts to argue a little bit with him about uh, with doctrinal issues and 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 uh, procedures, right? How where do we worship and how do we worship? And our our Samaritan faith says this, and the Jewish people say this, and and Jesus says to says to her, "Look, God is a spirit. I love this. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in what spirit and truth. You must worship Him in in spiritual worship." Led by the Spirit, revealed by the Spirit, but also in truth. Spirit and truth, we say often around here, you've probably heard it, Spirit and truth have to kiss. Spirit and truth have to meet. So ordering God's house is having both spirit and truth. Truth is reality. The word there in the Greek is reality. The reality of God. Not a, not a foreign concept, not a passing trend or fad. There's a lot of trends and fads about God. There's a lot of trends and fads about worship. There's a lot of trends and fads about preaching. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, I want you to worship him in spirit. It's spirit inspired, spirit revealed, and also in the reality of who he is. 
So when we worship, you know, here's the thing. If you, if you worship, if you're one of those that it's all about the Spirit, you worship, it's all about uh, spiritual revelation, spiritual insight, what happens is you have no moorings. You have no foundation. You have no truth. And so you start gravitating to things that really aren't spiritual. They're not, they're not godly spiritual anyway. They're your own conscience, your own wishful thinking, your own ideas about God. And you get off into left field. And the other end of that spectrum is if all you do is it's got to be word, 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 truth, 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 truth. And there's no spiritual revelation about what you're reading. There's no revelation from God about what you're, you're studying. You become headlocked and it's all about your brain. You have to have both. Scripture was Spirit-inspired. And so you cannot read it and understand it without spiritual revelation. There's good information in there, but it is spiritually discerned. So you have to have both. Worshiping God requires sound doctrine. It's spirit and truth meeting. You have to have a revelation of who God is, not just read words on a page. So it's important for us to encourage both. So we foster an environment here in the house of the Lord where there's both spirit and truth. We foster an environment where there's doctrine and we want to study the word and dig into the word. But we also want spirit revelation and we want the life of God and what we're studying and understanding from his word. Amen. Paul tells them, uh, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, he says that first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So he tells Timothy, not only are you sticking to sound doctrine and you're sticking to the word, but I also want my house to be a house of prayer. In Isaiah 56, 7, God says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Amen. My house shall be called a house of prayer. You know, why do we pray for people? God says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Why do we do harp and bowl? My house shall be called a house of prayer. Why do we do healing rooms? My house shall be called a house of prayer. Why do we pray so much? My house shall be called a house of prayer. Why do we have prayer before service? My house. So he goes on in that same passage in 1 Timothy 2, the very next verse. He says, I want you to pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life. So if you don't like what the, what the rulers are doing around you, pray for them. And the impact of that prayer, I love this, the impact of that prayer is that you will lead a peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified life. What happens when you begin to live a life of prayer is that God changes you. You say, well, my situation didn't change, but how you're showing up to it is. He may change the outward circumstance. He may change the situation that you're facing. And we believe that, and that's why we pray. We pray in faith with expectation. But we also know that praying in faith and bringing our needs before the Lord is oftentimes God's first response is, what needs to change is you. 
Am I enough in spite of that? Is Jesus enough in spite of what you're facing? Well, I'm glad Kathy's with me this morning. Is Jesus enough for you in spite of the circumstance that you're going through? If Jesus never healed you, if you never saw the physical manifestation of that healing, if you never saw the, the, the physical manifestation of that breakthrough in this life, if you never saw the provision in this life, is he enough? Can he do the other? Absolutely. And I've seen him do it time and time again. But the primary question that gets to the core of who we are, is he enough? Is who he is enough? Not what he does, but who he is. That's order in the house of the Lord. Because we recognize in prayer who he is, and he changes us. He makes us quiet and peaceable. He makes us godly. He makes you look like him. When you get in your prayer time, and you start seeing him for who he is, not, not a prayer time of, Lord, let me just tell you about all my things, and then you go about your business, but when you begin to really see him in prayer, when you begin to see his nature, when you begin to see the qualities of God. You see, in prayer time, we see his qualities. We see his nature. He takes the scripture that you're praying. You know, sometimes we can come into our prayer closet so self-centered. And we have our verses. We have our scripture. And we come in with our scripture. And we start praying and we come in with a very self-centered. But as we, as we begin to pray, we start seeing the nature of God himself. We start seeing the qualities of who he is. And that's where we begin to be changed. We recognize that our life is not our own. That he's called us. He's chosen us. We, we discover the, the loving nature of who he is. And that becomes enough. And that love settles us. That love settles us. When you begin to pray for people around you, you pray for kings and those in authority, you pray for all people, Paul told Timothy, you pray for all, and you begin to, you begin to intercede and pray, he begins to settle your heart. That self-centered nature begins to dissipate. He begins to transform that. And you realize, wow, it's not all about me. It's not all about what I want. It's not all about me. How can I begin to pray for other people? How can I? This is fun. I, I'm seeing the glory of God revealed as I'm praying and interceding for other people. How can I pray for people more? Who can I pray for? Right? It becomes a delight. Because in the middle of it, you begin to see God in his nature. You begin to see how he desires to bless and minister to and show up with other people. Paul goes on with Timothy in verse 8. He says, pray without anger or quarreling. <laughs> it got quiet in here. He said, when you pray, he said, I want you to pray without quarreling. There ought to not be dissension and strife among you when you pray. It goes back to what Jesus said in Matthew if you have an offense, if there's ought, if there's a problem between you and someone, go make it right. Go handle that. Go deal with that before you pray, before you worship. Uh, you know, we should, we should have a, uh, 
confession box in the lobby, not, not for me to sit in there and absolve you, but for you to go uh, confess your faults to one to another and ask for forgiveness. Believe me, some of you are like, what is he, we're going to build a confession, I'm joking. I'm joking. But the reality is, is that before we walk into this building, we need to confess our faults. We need to deal with the issues. And if you get here and you have an offense, deal with it. Prayer, living a life of prayer changes who we are. Don't do it with quarreling and anger and be peaceable. Let him change you. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, Paul gives Timothy what are the order, what are the qualifications for church leaders. Right, so there's order in the house of the Lord for leadership. There's an expectation. If you are in leadership in God's house, there are expectations that God has for your life. You can't just show up and say, I'm going to be a leader. You don't just show up in the house of the Lord and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead and I'm going to do it haphazardly. There are expectations that God has for your life if you're going to lead in his house. You can find those in chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 through 15, it says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So here again, we see the order of God that we are to set a Christ-like example. We are to live Christ-like. There's 11 things in this just brief Two or three verses that Paul tells Timothy that we ought to be living Christ-like lives in. Order in God's house. How? We ought to have order in his house with what we say. Your speech ought to glorify God. What you say ought to glorify, it ought to enrich and edify each other. Out of the abundance of your heart, you're what? So if, you, if your speech is out of order, you have to deal with a heart issue. That's, again, go back to Matthew 5. If there's an offense, there's something in your heart, it's going to come out in what you say. That's why it's so important if we're going to have Christ-like speech. We have to deal with the issues of our heart. Number two is in behavior. How do you act? How do you behave? How do you conduct yourself in the house of the Lord? Is it Christ-like? You are to set an example in love. Loving one another, loving God. Love God, love one another. Love yourself. That was Jesus' command. Love God, love others as yourself. If you don't love yourself, it's going to be really hard for you to love others. And the very areas that you don't love yourself in will become the trap that it prevents you from loving others. I'm going to show you how that works. So if you don't love yourself, and maybe, maybe you don't love that you're, you're not confident enough. You don't feel confident. and you just That's an area of your life that you despise yourself in. You just 
Man, it's quiet in here. I'm just trying to help you this morning. Don't get mad, right? I'm just, just listen. If you, if you don't, if you don't like your level of confidence, you don't feel self-confident, you don't feel confident in who God's created you to be, and you don't love yourself in that way, here's, and that becomes the trap with which you judge others. Because someone who is confident, someone who does present themselves confident, what do you do? The very first thing you do is you judge them. Or you, oh, I wish I could be like them. All right, and, right? Instead of setting your eyes on Christ and having a Christ-like, genuine love, because you don't love yourself in that area, you begin to judge yourself and the other person in that area of your life. And so not loving yourself, this isn't, this isn't about ego and pride. It's about healthy, godly love for who he's created you to be. And the very areas of your life that you don't love yourself, that you don't see who God's created you to be, will become the very area that traps you in your love for someone else. It's easy to love people. If you, if you love your sense of humor and how God's created you to be a humorous person, and you're, and you're able to bring lightheartedness to conversation, and you love that about yourself, you're going to cherish that and love that in someone else. Because it, you love that. You're, that's something that you acknowledge about yourself, and you're able to see that in someone else and love that in them. But if you don't do that, you don't love yourself, and you think, man, I'm a horrible person because I can't do that, and I'm not, you know, I always say I'm not witty enough. I, I'm not witty enough then it's going to be hard for me to love someone else who is. That's why Jesus made it so imperative. Love God, love others as yourself. So we set an example in love. We set an example in faith. Our perception of the unseen world. How well do you see God in his world? Or are you so present moment focused that you can't see through the eyes of faith? So we have to set an example in faith. We set an example in purity. How, how do you conduct yourself in purity? Devotion. He said, devote yourselves. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Devote yourself to Scripture. The word there that's used for devote, if you go back to last week, I was talking about from Acts 2.42, that they preserved themselves in. Remember that? They preserved themselves in the apostles' doctrine. They devoted themselves. They preserved themselves. It's the same word that's used here that Paul writes to Timothy. He says, preserve yourself, devote yourself, preserve yourself in the public reading of Scripture. To exhortation, the word there is comfort. Paraclesis, actually, it's the to become like the paraclete. Who's our paraclete? It's the Holy Spirit. So to become like the Holy Spirit, to comfort one another, to be a standby for one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. So it's a multifaceted word, the word exhortation. He says that we are to devote ourselves to teaching, teaching of sound doctrine. He, he goes on, number... Uh, Nine, he says, don't neglect the gift. So there's 11 things here that he, he pulls out that I'm just highlighting. That he tells Timothy that part of being Christ-like, there's 11 things right here in these verses. Nine is don't neglect the gift. In other words, the, he, the Greek there is to make room. 
for the use of the gift that God has given you. That means that you have to recognize the gift that God's given you. If you don't know what the gifts God's given you are, how can you use them? If someone gave me a toolbox of a, a bunch of tools and said, go fix something, and I had no idea what the tool, which probably is likely, and I have no idea what the tools are for and how you use them, it would do me no good to have the tools. I can jingle them round in the box and sing a song, but it does me no good to fix the problem. So God's given you tools. He's given you gifts to edify, to build up his church. We're, the word edify is to build an edifice, to construct. So we're building up his church. If you don't know how to use the tools to build the church, you're just clanging around, which there's a lot of Christians who do that. They just clang around everywhere they go. They don't know how to use the gifts that God's given them. We, that's why Next Step Series, small groups, all of the things here, Leaders Lunch, celebrate. we don't want you to be a clanging Christian. Man, hallelujah. We don't want you clanging around. We want you to be successful and effective in what God's called you to do. Amen. So don't neglect the gift which was given you. And he says, this is great, practice these things. This word in the, in the Greek, I keep saying Hebrew, we're in the New Testament. The, in the Greek, the word there is to premeditate. He said, I want you to premeditate about these things. Premeditate about how you're going to conduct yourself and in your speech, your behavior, love, faith, purity, how you're going to devote yourself to sound doctrine, how you're going to be a paraclesis for those around you. I want you to premeditate about what you're going to teach and how you're going to live out sound doctrine. I want you to premeditate about how you're going to use the gifts. God, you know, I, I'd venture to say if we thought about the things that God told us to think about more often than the things we actually think about, we'd probably be a lot more productive. Just saying. He's, he's told us to meditate on, to premeditate, to think about these things. And he goes on further, and I love this word because we use the word saturate. Matter of fact, uh, starting Wednesday night is saturate night on Wednesdays. We, uh, 7 o'clock, powerful. Uh, if, you'll, if those of you that were here when we did midweek refresh, um, it, this, we're going back to that same. It's just called different saturate. Um, saturate nights on Wednesday, one of my, it's, I love it more than Sunday mornings. Uh, I love Sunday mornings, but I love saturate nights more than Sunday. Saturate is, uh, it, if you've ever heard this, you know, some of our, many of our just phenomenal stories of how God has shown up here at the church happened on, when, happened on Wednesday nights. Uh, and that's all I'll say about that. But anyway, so, so this word immerse saturate, immerse yourself in them, is to be fully engaged with these things. Not to just have an idea or a concept, but engage with these in your life. That you're so filled, so full with sound doctrine, you're so full of who God is and His character in your life, you're so full of uh, being preserved in the Word of God, you're so full of paraclesis in your life, so filled 
you're so immersed in that it's just overflowing out of you. It's just so natural. It's just a natural part. It's organic of who you are. You're that saturated, that immersed. It's, you know, taking the sponge and soaking it and saturating it in the water. And you just take, you know, you just throw the sponge. It's so filled that water just pours out of it. That ought to be your spiritual life. That ought to be how you live. You're so saturated with the things of God that it becomes a natural overflow of who you are. And then uh, we continue on. You can go throughout First Timothy. There's a lot more, and I, I want to recognize the time. But I do want to highlight spiritual gifts. I do want to highlight spiritual gifts because 1 Corinthians 14 there's a, there's a lot of, when we talk about order in the house of the Lord, we can, there's a lot of ways we can go with this, but I love how Paul approaches it with Timothy. I want you to behave. <laughs> I want you to, you know, I want you to behave in God's house, and I love how he approaches that, but he also approaches it with the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says, pursue love. Everybody say, pursue love. And earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love and be zealous, earnestly desire there, be zealous in seeking spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding, the word edification, encouragement, paraclesis, and consolation, comfort. So here we find instruction from, from Paul on how the house of the Lord is to operate with spiritual gifts. I want to be a house that operates in spiritual gifts. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that I don't want you to be ignorant. And the words, if you read the whole passage, what he's saying in the Greek is I don't want you to be carried off by phantoms of your own mind. Spiritual gifts bring discernment and clarity to how we think and how we live. Spiritual gifts are absolutely essential. I flow very much in, in discernment. One of the gifts, I flow into several, but one of them is discernment. Uh, you know, it's a curse sometimes. It's, you know, it's a, it's a great gift, but sometimes it can be overwhelming. I, I can walk into a space and talk to no one and just know exactly what's happening in the room in the moment. It's very... Uh, uh, to almost, I, I see things and perceive things that most people in the space probably never would. It's a spiritual gift that operates in my, in my life and in my wife, um, and, and I cultivate it. And as a senior pastor, I can tell you, I need it. <laughs> as a lead pastor, there have been many times where I've walked in and I've seen people not even knowing the situation, not even knowing what's going on in their life, and, and say to one of our staff, I want you to call them, something's going on, or, or, or this is what's happening, the Lord will give me a word of knowledge and connection with it, or however that flows. I love spiritual gifts, I love them in operation, I want them in operation in our church. It brings order to the house of the Lord. Let me tell you, there's nothing that will bring order to the house of God if you know your pastor might stand up on Sunday morning and read your mail. I, uh, it's so funny, I, 
we were just before Christmas, I don't know, I forget who it was, but somebody before Christmas invited their family to church, and, and their, their family was unchurched, and they said, now I'm going to tell you, Pastor Zach may get up and, and prophesy and tell you everything in your life while he's up there on the platform. And after the service, I had one of the family members come up to me, and they said, you had no idea, but while you were, when you went to preach, you started off by saying, the Lord's saying to somebody in this room, and you went through this whole long story about the person sitting in the row with me. There was no question for them that that was a word from God for them. You had no idea. You didn't say their name or point them out, but that was their story, and they needed to hear it. There's nothing like it. Spiritual gifts are needed, and Paul tells us to earnestly desire them, to pursue them, to be zealous about them. And he's, he gives this parameter for how they function. They function, one, he said, pursue love. Love is the motivation for every spiritual gift. Love flows out of every spiritual gift. If you are flowing out of a spiritual gift for your own gain, to appease your own conscience, to make you feel good about yourself, to create a gathering or people that follow you. If you want to be known as the, the <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that want to be known as the prophet. If that's why you're using spiritual gifts, you are in error. Steward yourself. Steward yourself. Discipline yourself. Spiritual gifts are to flow out of love. And the truth is, here's the reality. They can operate outside of the context of love. God will allow his gifts and his word to be used. I don't understand why he does it sometimes. The only reason I know is because just in Romans it says that there's a, we're storing up wrath for the day of judgment. So sometimes I wonder if God's not just allowing people to store up wrath for the day of judgment. But that's for another conversation. Who knows why he does it? Sometimes I scratch my head. I'm like you. I scratch my head and I wonder why they do that. But to those of us who are being sanctified and those of us who are being changed, we need to operate in a place of love. And there's three parameters Paul gives here. I made some of y'all mad just because I said you're storing up wrath for the day of judgment. You better make sure that you're born again and then you'll be okay. You say, well, pastor, give me scripture for that. Okay, Matthew 7. Jesus said to, me, said to them, there will be those on the day that come to them and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out devils in your name? And I'll look at them and say, I never knew you. There you go. Okay, moving on. So upbuild, encourage, edify, encourage, and comfort. These are the parameters for spiritual gifts. If they do not edify, if they do not paraclesis, encourage, take on the nature of the Holy Spirit or comfort, they're in error. I know everybody in this room's probably received a word from somebody at some time or another, and you scratched your head and say, what on earth did I just walk into? <laughs> What does that mean? Anybody? Yeah, I'm sure we all have. I know I have. I've received words I thought, that is off the wall. And, uh, and it brought no, no comfort, no paraclesis, no edification. If I would have allowed it, it would probably have torn me down. Because I would have I dwelt on it and said, what does this mean? So what do you do with that? You don't receive those words. They're not from God. 
They're not from him. If it is a word from the Lord, it will, number one, always align with Scripture. God will never say something that misaligns with his word. If someone tells you, I have a this is the Lord, first off, let that be clue number one. Because if it's from the Lord, you don't need to say, this is the Lord. He can speak for himself. And when he speaks, it's evident that he's speaking. Everyone in the room will know he's speaking. Number two, very practical things here. I'm going to help you, pastoral, help you out. If it's a word from the Lord, it doesn't need to be secret. Well, pastor, I don't want to air their business. I'm not telling you to get up here and grab the microphone and shout it from the rooftop, but you don't... Come on now. Do I have to break this down? Come here, sweetie. Let's go off to the side, and I'm going to tell you a word that only you can know. You are better to be accountable in everything that you say. You are better to be accountable and let someone hear you and make sure it aligns with the word. Because, I, you know, I've seen this. I've seen, I've seen guest ministers get in people's ear and tell them things, whisper to them sweet nothings, and mm -mm, no, no, no thank you. You ain't coming back, you ugly thing. Get out of my church, you devil. I'm serious, I've watched it happen. If it's the word of the Lord, say it. Say what he's telling you. And let yourself be accountable. You say, ooh, that makes me nervous. I don't know if I want to use spiritual gifts. It ought to make you nervous. It ought to make you recognize that there's an accountability for using spiritual gifts. I want you to use them. I want you to steward them. I want you to flow in them. If you have a message in tongues, give it. If you have an interpretation, give it. If you have a prophetic word, give it. Love it. But there's accountability with it. Just as I have to stand before the Lord for what I say in this pulpit and how I pastor you, you have to give an account. You have to be accountable. It's good for you to be accountable. So anyway, so, so you can't go wrong with the word. And don't twist the word to make it fit what you're saying. Don't take it out of context. Never take the word of God out of context. I'm, I'm helping you pursue love and telling you all this. Spiritual gifts must edify, they must encourage, they must comfort. So what do you do with the word that you're like, this isn't from the Lord? What do you do? Don't receive it. Don't keep it. Don't ponder on it. Don't keep thinking about it. And don't be afraid to tell the person, I don't receive that. You say, well, I, 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 want, I, I don't want to offend them. So I want you to understand. So I'm just being pastor this morning. I'm just trying to help you. If you're a guest with us, thank God that you're here, but I'm just being really loving and pastoral this morning. So hang with us. I don't do this all the time. But if, you, if someone says to you something that does not align with the word of the Lord, don't hesitate to tell them. And you do it in honor. 
You do it in honor. You don't have to beat them up or punch them in the face. Please don't punch anyone in the face. You don't have to, you don't have to be rude. Honor is like walking into a dark room. In those situations, honor is like walking into the dark room and turning the light switch on and saying, here we go. All you're doing is just flipping the switch and saying, it doesn't bear witness with me. Thank you for practicing. <laughs> Keep practicing. <laughs> I do. I tell people that. I'm practicing hearing from the Lord. And so uh, can I just practice and tell you what I think he's saying? And if I get it wrong, just tell me. It's okay. It's okay to practice. You don't have to be an expert. And by the way, just because you flow in a prophetic gift doesn't make you a prophet. Just because I, I, yeah, yeah, just because I flow, just, just because you're here, let me give you an example. You might be, uh, you might have a gift in your life of shepherding. You might be a shepherd. You might have that, that caretaker, nurturer gifting in your life, that shepherding, pastoral gift in your life. That doesn't make you a pastor. You might be really good at caring for people, but it doesn't mean that God's called you to the fivefold ministry of pastoring. There is a difference between fivefold ministry and gifts. And a gift does not make you a fivefold. And because you have fivefold ministry operating in your life, doesn't mean that you have spiritual gifts operating in your life. God help us. You need them. They ought to be flowing, but it, I've seen a lot of fivefold people who do not flow in spiritual gifts. And they actually tell you that they no longer exist. You know what I'm talking about. I need spiritual gifts in my life, fivefold. But anyway, all that saying, you need to understand spiritual gifts. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. He said, I want you to be motivated in love. I want you to walk in love. I want you to pursue love. That is what you ought to pursue. Number one, if you are not pursuing love, things are going to be out of order in your life. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jesus. So number one, Paul says, pursue love then and desire spiritual gifts. Be zealous about the spiritual gifts. There's nothing wrong about being zealous for spiritual gifts. You should be zealous for spiritual gifts. Paul puts the emphasis on prophecy. But he, ne he never says tongues is wrong. Some people interpret this and say, well, Paul said we should desire prophecy, so we shouldn't speak in tongues in church. He never said that. He said if you're going to speak publicly in church, he said it would be better to prophesy than praying in tongues. But it's not wrong. And you have to understand there's a difference. I need to wrap this up. You need to understand there's a difference between your prayer language of tongues and the gift of a message in tongues. And so, yeah, so a lot of people get confused there, too. They think, well, he's, so he's referencing here that you're praying in tongues. This reference in 1 Corinthians 14 is about praying in tongues on your own. He said, if you're going to move into a public declaration of some sort, then prophesy. And that's what an interpretation of tongues is. It's the testimony of Jesus in, in an interpretation to a message in tongues. Hallelujah. We love it all. We welcome it all. 
But rest assured, when you say, well, pastor, what do you, what do you, when there's a message in tongues, how do we do this? How do we operate? If there's a message in tongues or a prophetic word or how do we do this? I want to encourage you. I want you to flow in the gifts. And you will know, it will be clear to you if it's in order or not. And if you're uncertain, don't do it. If you're uncertain, you just you just make your way right on over here. And we have my wife and George and Veronica, Pastor Brant. We have a whole, usually right here in these first three rows, there's a whole bunch of our pastoral team or ministers that will help you figure it out. I feel like the Lord's saying this. I feel like he's telling me this. And they'll walk you through it gladly because we welcome spiritual gifts. We want them in operation. If you're unsure, make your way over. Now, secondly, if you know it's the Lord, then he'll direct. He'll give you clarity on when and how. The first thing I always say, you know, when I feel like the Lord's telling me something, I don't just respond. I don't just, on a whim, respond. Oh, I feel like the Lord's telling me this. Woo! <laughs> Hallelujah! Let me just tell everybody I know. It's so great. That's, remember when we were talking about spiritual kites, that you, you're all spirit and no truth? Spirit and truth have to meet. Sound doctrine has to meet. So I need to, in that moment, say, okay, is this God or is this my flesh? Where is this originating from? Is this my own wishful thinking or is this the Lord? Number one. Number two, am I being motivated by love or my own self or some other thing? Is this love? Is this love for God, love for people? Or some other way. If you don't meet those two criteria, then throw it out. Or set it aside until the Lord can align your heart. Number three, what's the word of God say about this? My next question, does it align with the word of God? What does the Bible say? Does it align with his word? Is what he's telling me aligned with his word? If it doesn't, Throw it out. Set it aside. Study his word. Get clarity around what his word says about it before you tell anybody anything. By the way, when God speaks, it doesn't mean he's saying tell. He might be speaking for you. <laughs> Just listen. Figure it out. Does it align with the word? If it's in a corporate setting, the next question I ask is, how does it align with what God's doing corporately? Because it's never an individual show. <laughs> what happens at the pulpit, myself, our team, ministry, all that happens is, is spirit-directed, I promise. <laughs> I can always tell when it ain't, believe me. There have been times I've said, get them off the stage. <laughs> True story. <laughs> this is not spirit-inspired, huh? You know? We've got to be in spirit alignment. And he will order, he'll, he'll order and direct. I've had many, many times where people will say, oh, I feel like the Lord's speaking this over the church or saying this. 
and they'll they'll come say say whatever. And there are times where he does speak corporately, and and those things need to be said in the moment as a corporate word. But a lot of times it's just a word of confirmation for me. Because it's what God's already saying and speaking to me for the moment. And it, be, and it comes as a confirmation to me and to the direction of what I've watched at times where Pastor Grace will be singing prophetically a song. I'll have a word of prophecy or a word to share. And then at the same time, somebody will have another word that will confirm what's happening and between all of us. That's God. God's the great symphony director. He's the great conductor. And he's just... If we're willing to dance and sing with him and play with him, he, be, he makes it a beautiful, beautiful med- medley. But we've got to be able to do that, right? We've got to, do, we've got to dance with him and let him direct. So ask yourself, what's happening corporately? If it doesn't align with what's happening corporately, it ain't from the Lord. He's not going to cause disruption in what he's doing in a service. God's not going to set the pastoral leadership in one direction and then tell you something completely different that's going to disrupt the flow of his leadership. Unless the church needs to be disrupted, and that's a whole other story. Then you might call yourself Samuel (laughs) or Ezekiel, and there's going to be a heritage and a history for you to know that that's how the Lord uses you. But in general, that's not how he functions in the church. Let me give you one other bit, and I'll take, we'll take communion, because I, I feel like y'all are listening, and, and I want to make sure you hear my heart and receive this. Uh, the other thing in, in relationship to spiritual gifts is we have, to, we have to stay a body. Anytime you find yourself functioning outside of the body, or what you're doing causes harm to the body, In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul follows up his teaching about spiritual gifts with an understanding of how the church is the body of Christ, that we all function as a body. So if if my fist started punching myself, not going to happen, but if I were, right, that I'm causing harm to my body, I'm self-harming. And if you self-harm, you got to get help, right? So we're not going to do things in church that is going to cause self-harm. We're not going to harm the body, right? So our words, what we do, how we behave, the doctrine that we teach, how we function, how we flow in spiritual gifts, all has to build up and edify the body. Now, I'm going to give you an example, and I hope that Lisa's okay with this. I'm going to pick on Lisa for a moment. Um, I love, because she's got a great God story, and she can tell you her story at some other time. But... I want to give you the example as I wrap up today and we go to receive communion. Is that she started coming to the healing rooms. And as she started coming to the healing rooms, she she was in Carol's. I don't see Carol. Carol's somewhere. She was in Carol's. (laughs) You've changed seats on me. This is not. (laughs) This is harmful to the body. I'm joking. joking joking totally joking totally joking but she was going to carol's uh healing room and carol was uh ministering to her and having prophetic words and insights and those words was what began to break off some of the chains that 
set Lisa up for her healing, right? And then Lisa got major healing over the past couple of months, major healing to the degree that she, well, she didn't grow an inch or two, but, it, but her back straightened up. If you remember when she was coming, she was using a cane. She could barely walk, but God healed her, and she's walking straight. It's awesome. That's awesome. But that's how the spiritual gifts work. It, it becomes a platform that God's using to bring healing and deliverance and breakthrough and all those great things. Okay, let's receive communion. Why don't our worship team come back? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we're going to receive communion together. Today's, we tried to see how much we could put in a service today. First Corinthians, I'm going to ask our ushers if they'll, communion ushers, if you'll go ahead and come on down. As they're doing that, I, I want to, I'm going to teach, <coughs> I'm going to keep teaching about order in God's house. Because communion is a part of God's order. The Bible says in the New Testament church that they were they were breaking bread, they were they were participating in the Lord's Supper daily. Daily they were receiving communion together. Daily they everybody say daily. Communion communion ought to be a part of your regular journey with Christ. Whether that's daily, weekly, you know, whatever the case is. If you're, and we do it here at the church monthly, but if you're dealing with illness or sickness, you ought to take communion. If you're, if you're dealing with cancer or any, any kind of illness, blood disease, maybe home strife, things going on in your home or family, take communion. Man, there's nothing like bringing order to your family, to your home, to your body like taking communion. Because what you're doing, and it's, and it's not just about drinking juice and eating a cracker, but it's what you do, how you appropriate the word that's important. That he is your healer, he's your savior, you, and you start declaring those things over your family and over your life as you receive communion. Now, in 1 Corinthians, the wonderful Corinthian church had gotten a little out of order with, uh, they were a little zealous bunch of people, and they were a little overzealous in communion. They'd receive, they'd serve, you know, they'd have communion together, but they wouldn't wait for one another. They'd just start eating like it was a big party. And Paul said, look, I need you to understand how communion works. Communion is corporate. This is about you and the body as much as it is you and individuals. So when you receive communion together, let me remind you of what Jesus did. The same night that he was betrayed with his disciples, same night he was betrayed, he took the cup after supper saying, this is my blood, right? And he took the, the bread, this is my body, this is a covenant. Remember this, do this together in remembrance of me. This is a celebration of me, not you. This is about celebrating Jesus together, it's worship together, and appropriating his promises for us. So communion brings order to the house of the Lord.
this been helpful this morning? Order in the house of the Lord. Just practical. We want to be a place for His glory. We want to be a place for revival and awakening. We want to continue in that. We have to recognize His order in His house. And what this is doing this morning is setting you up to be used of the Lord and to operate in spiritual gifts, operate in sound doctrine, and just let what God wants to do, let it flourish in your life. Why don't you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your blood that was spilled for us at Calvary. We thank you, Jesus, that we have healing, we have remission of sins. Lord, your blood today is flowing through us, Lord. The DNA of our Heavenly Father is flowing in our lives, that we have spiritual DNA because of this blood. We've been redeemed. We've been chosen. This blood is sanctifying us. It's washing us. It identifies us as family. Jesus, this blood identifies us, this body, as family. Not because of a natural lineage, but because of our spiritual lineage. We've been called because of this blood. Thank you, Jesus. We appropriate the promises of this blood to our life. In Jesus' name, let's drink together. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken. The veil was torn. Your flesh was torn. And I have access into your presence because of this broken body. Things that were in strife and disunity are made whole again because of this broken body. You unify our body because of your broken body. Thank you, Jesus. We have healing because of this broken body. Our physical bodies that are broken because of illness are made whole again because of this broken body. Our minds that are tormented with depression and anxiety or fear have peace because of this body that was broken. The anxiety that you bore, the pain and suffering that you bore has paid for my peace 